Pills podcast. Today, I am so excited to have three special guests with us. We have Dr. Ravi Patel, Dr. Rob Puglisi, and Dr. Tim Unks. So welcome, everybody. Hey, thank you. Absolutely. So just to get started, if each of you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your teaching style. We'll start with Ravi. Yeah, so I teach at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy, and our style that we've developed in our innovation program is to really understand what is the definition of pharmacy. Each location, each institution, each person really has their own definition, so we like to work around the central concept that innovation is new and useful, and finding what's new and useful in clinical practice and education has been what has been driving our program for the last three years, whether it's technology, whether it's concepts, whether it's games and healthcare, finding what's new and useful has really been what keeps us going on a day-to-day level. Fantastic. So I uh, work at uh, Thomas Jefferson University Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, and um, I wear a lot of hats. I teach clinically in the emergency department. I have uh, students uh, who'd come for their uh, experiential practices in emergency medicine. And then I also run the Health Design Lab, um, which is a multidisciplinary health innovation lab where we have students from all over the university, so from our industrial design program, our engineering school, um, our our other uh, undergraduate programs, and also, of course, pharmacy, medicine, and nursing as well. And uh, my teaching style in the emergency department is that basically uh, I don't have to do much because the ER is such a kind of exciting place that yeah. I tell students that you can get whatever you want out of this and really it's, it's, it's what you put into it is what you get out of it. Awesome. Tim? So I'm from MCPHS University in Worcester and right now I'm more engaged in the home health care setting so with the VNA service. But I also teach an elective on digital health on campus, and a lot of it's self-explanatory in terms of what has technology done to our own lives. So I ask a lot of my students to just say, identify what's going on. And this year was the first year that really almost every single student had a smartphone. We've actually had a few students who don't have a smartphone, which was surprising. (laughs) And this year was the first, and it was quite fascinating when we just got people to talk about, well, what has this done? Anything from Tinder to Uber. And when the question comes to healthcare, Inevitably, the students kind of get confounded because they start realizing they do everything outside, but how does it actually apply to healthcare overall? And that's been a lot of exploration as of late, and I'm hoping to apply in the home healthcare setting and go with that a little bit more deeper. Perfect. So it sounds like you guys are all interested in innovation. I know that's something that really drives each of you. Could you guys talk about something that um, either a student has really brought to you that's been innovative or something that you yourself are working on that's innovative? One of the things I really enjoy when it comes to innovation is saying technology does not equal innovations automatically. So one of the events that we held was a game jam, which is similar to a hackathon, 24 hours to solve a problem. In our case, for a game jam, we use a game to approach it. The unique approach is that it doesn't have to be a digital game, so you don't have to know the programming, you don't have to know about the concepts that uh, go into decision and logic, but you have to understand how they apply to games. So the things that were really exciting and even defining a game as a series of meaningful decisions and outcomes, it was a team of students comprised of a pharmacist, an environmental science major, and a variety of other disciplines mm-hmm. who came together to make a board game based on the average life expectancy of 78, which is what they titled their game. And so meaningful decisions that you made during the course of the game impacted how long you lived and your quality of life. So just giving that context of saying create something that can help patients and seeing students come up with these new ideas, just giving a little bit of a spark was really exciting for us to see. Yeah, absolutely. Great. 
That sounds fun. <laughs> it's sort of morbid. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. I mean, like, I mean, hell, you mean, like, you know, like, you're replicating like real life. I mean, the one there's a company I saw recently because I was doing heart failure at UMass, and what they were doing was they were making like an app, and before uh, patients actually got discharged, they were, the patients were tasked with pretending they were the patient through the app. Hmm. So going through like you know everything that leads to exacerbations, like how much fluid you drink, what you do, but it was very cartoony. And you would basically get to the end and you'd be like, oh, you're back in the hospital. Or, no, you're doing everything correctly. And it's like reinforcing. And it's like a Tamagotchi of your life almost. It's like you're the patient. Nice. And, you know, I'm thinking back to grade school when I would kill that sucker all the time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and it, just, it just goes to show, like, even, like, you know, you may think that you're doing the right things and you may not always be. And I think that's really eye-opening for a lot of people when they get into those shoes. And until you're actually a patient, you actually have your own health problems, I think it's really hard to emphasize with it. It took me a while to figure it out until I had actually go to the hospital for a condition I didn't even know about for the longest time. And it, it and I, I think back on that moment, like, would technology fix this? Does this solve everything? No, I still want to talk to a human being at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk to, like, a machine. I wanted to help. I want to talk to someone. I think I, that's something I really emphasize a lot is that the human condition, talking to each other is something that, no matter what advances in healthcare, I think it's going to be the one breaking point whether or not you can get to that. Even, like, you know, Google's I.O. conference they had, where like, scheduled your appointment goes like, um, uh, at the, like, the right times. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. So this may be a tough question, but if you had a magic wand, what would you change or fix about pharmacy education? It's pretty easy. I'd like <laughs> everyone to feel comfortable failing constantly. Yeah. If only one time out of ten works, that's probably a good success rate, better than what you might find in practice or real life. So making failure a part of the curriculum more and more would be something I'd want a magic wand to be able to do. I like that. And being, having students be comfortable with that because they, you know, are afraid to be, or they don't think they should be wrong or they don't think they should not be able to come up with the answer when, when asked. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, something that came up in our, in our session today was, you know, a lot of students are, are, feel so much pressure to be successful and to get the best grades and to you know learn all this content that there's no room for creativity there's no room for exploration of of other concepts or even to explore things that become really important when you are in the professional world things like how do you work in a team you know how are you comfortable with ambiguity when there is no right answer you know how are you comfortable with that and uh you know a lot of people are, are really grappling with how do I create an innovative learning experience when they're so hyper-focused on success mm-hmm. and, and, and there is no success in innovation, right? Innovation is, is basically <laughs> like allowing you to, to be great, allowing, you, allowing for space to, for these things, these, these, these interesting things to be explored. Mm-hmm. I think picking back in both of you guys, it's, it's like I like games because of that. Like the nice part about like playing a game is the fact that you can always hit the reset. Or you can go back to your last save point. You screwed up, you learn from it, and hopefully you won't repeat it again. You can move beyond that stage or the level or that boss. The f- hard part, though, is emphasizing, I think, that in life, like, we give students situations, we give them cases, but we're still, I think we're missing that link between where can we have students fail and learn but still rewind. And I think that's one thing that I still grapple with is that something that, you know, these new technology come out like you know VR, AR. Is this something mm-hmm. where we could maybe do something like that? Can we make things look so lifelike and make you feel something? And I, I, again, there's, there's been video games that come out that actually have made me very sad watching this. Like they make me scared. They make me feel different things. I, I never thought that like, Super Mario would get to that point. 
but maybe we are and maybe that's what it takes is something like this that will help guide students through it and then we can you know talk about it like you know what did you learn from this what did you experience and how can you use that going forward but that's just something that's still in a pie in the sky kind of thing but i hope mm-hmm. we get there soon so it sounds like you guys are really creative um so who inspires you or where do you get your best ideas you know one of the things that I love about what I get to do um, in in the design lab is to allow people to think differently, right? To give people the license, basically, to uh, come up with whatever they want, try whatever they want, that whole giving them the, the license to fail, to be creative. And, and suddenly when you allow people and give somebody the space to do that, it's not, I don't have to come up with the best, most innovative idea. Mm-hmm. The best ideas have come from the, the students, the people have, who have come to me, you know, with, with, with a little glimmer of like, oh, I think this might work and saying, all right, what, what can I do to help you, you know, take that idea to the next level? Or maybe even bring it to take one step, the next step forward. Mm. Um, and that's where the best ideas have come from. It's, it's just like basically giving people the license to, 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 to act on their ideas. Yeah, and supporting them in it, absolutely. Yeah. Or giving them guidance. Mm-hmm. Creativity, I think, is almost paradoxical because I think creativity takes some discipline. And I think it's a discipline of curiosity. Being able to always ask why something is the way it is or why something doesn't exist. And I would say I'm not who I would consider to be a stereotypically creative person, but rather I can talk to it because that's how I think about it. So going about your daily practice to say, why are we seeing patients in the way that we see them? Why do we teach the way that we do it? And the reason that discipline is so difficult is it feels like you're either attacking or questioning yourself. And I think that's an important thing when it comes to creativity. Multiple perspectives by asking why and always being able to ask those points are really what draw it up the same way that Rob describes to be able to say, where can I do something different? Why am I afraid to feel? For me, I look to the past a lot. I love reading. I love history. But I also like science fiction. And probably one of the biggest things that always struck me was in science fiction is no pharmacist. So <laughs> that's something that has always stood out to me is the fact that, you know, in Star Trek, there's a doctor, there's nurses. Right. Oh, there's so, no pharmacist. And, like, there's none. So the question was actually like, popped up for me. It was like, why? Was it that we magically always we managed to 3D print stuff? We can just make things on the go? Like, and then it always led me to ask, you know, things always change. Pharmacy went from being, you know, shaman, alchemist. Mm-hmm. We have apothecaries, we have druggists, we have chemists. We turned to pharmacists in the 1970s. And I'm st- very convinced still that that doesn't last because the progress is in nature of sciences and healthcare is a science. What does what does a pharmacist turn into the future? Mm-hmm. Because I don't think there is one. But I don't think the nature of it changes, and that's constantly where I'm grasping. And grappling with is what is that that mm-hmm. lays in the head? Is that within my lifetime? Is it the next lifetime? Yeah. But I'm always, and that's what I aim for is looking into the past to see what comes in the future because I think the present is definitely based on the bedrock of the past. Absolutely. So, in coming up with ideas, in supporting in others' ideas, and in just in this whole career in academia that we've all embarked on, are there any? books, podcasts, resources, websites that you guys would recommend as far as developing yourself in this area? In a general topic, I would say find something you don't think you have an interest or an (laughs) innate ability and see why you don't think you do that and what you can do to build it. The unique element of creativity and innovation is learning the skill when you need it. Mm -hmm. So if it's learning about augmented reality and technology, it's 
finding how can you find those resources outside of it. So in terms of what you might be able to read outside of your comfort zone, I can say I'm not very visually oriented or talented. Watching Bob Ross paint, I think would be something that would be very valuable yeah. for me. I've heard there's a lot on YouTube. There is so. a lot on YouTube, yes. <laughs> they were streaming him on Twitch, I think, the other month. Just had He's a, a classic. Oh. Yeah. It's very relaxing. <laughs> happy Little Trees, a source of creativity and innovation. I tried that one time. Got a happy little smudge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, these days I, I, I try to encourage, uh, especially my students, to, to like, just like Robbie said, read stuff that's just like totally out of left field. Like, mm -hmm. what what excites you? Mm -hmm. You know, whatever whatever excites you, I think is is fuel uh, for you know being a, a motivating factor to being to protecting you from burnout and, and to keep you kind of energized in your mm -hmm. in your professional exploration. You know, uh, you know to, I always encourage my students to to look at themselves um, differently and to look at what are the things that like. What are the things that you really, but made you you mm -hmm. before you even went to college, right? Absolutely. Like, well, I was an arts major, you know, mm -hmm. when I was in uh, when I was in high school. Um, I thought I was going to be a cook, um, I, and I wanted to go to cooking school. Yep. Um, and then I realized that I'm way too lazy, and, to <laughs> and I enjoy my weekends, and so I found something else. Uh, so you know, one of my favorite books is to today still like Kitchen Confidential, right, mm -hmm. from Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I still do also look for that like whatever it was that draw me to the visual arts. So you know, look, reading books by designers like Alan Lupton, for example, are, are, are really incredible for me because it, it allows me to like get back to that thing that was really important to me and still is is in me somewhere, right? That I'm now only realizing that it's still just as important, if not more important, to you know my ten years of pharmacy practice as to you know who I am, what motivates me, and what has allowed me to keep on kind of keeping the energy to, to be excited about what I do every day. Cool. I think for me, it's just never stop reading. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you say you want to be a cook. I had considered that. And then actually when I went actually started going to college, I was going to go for philosophy. Mm. So I was going to want to become a philosophy history and realize there's no damn money in that. <laughs> so, um, so next big thing. And actually that's, that's the whole, a lot of old philosophers were apothecaries and alchemists. And that's actually what got me in this whole damn thing. <laughs> but in any event, um, I, I find the greatest idea is just read outside of your comfort area. And not even like just like books. Like don't read pharmacy journals. Don't think that you're going to find areas from journals and such. But like pick up like popular mechanics. Pick up mm -hmm. something like a business review. And the other thing I really get a lot of interesting ideas and thoughts is I go on online forums. Mm -hmm. And like I will gladly go on Reddit. I will gladly go oh, on yeah. somewhere else and just see what people are talking about because there's some bloody good ideas out there half the time that, and you listen to other people's real problems. Mm -hmm. And that really, I think, strikes me a lot at the end of the day. Absolutely. Typically I ask um, to give one example of a teaching strategy that you've, that you've implemented that went really well, and then one that didn't go so well. But with three of you, I'll split it up. So we have to have at least one person talk about one that didn't go so well. But any strategies that maybe you didn't expect to go well and did, or those that you were excited about and then maybe didn't go so well. Classroom or experiential. One thing that I've tried in a classroom setting that I wasn't sure how it would go because it required a lot of effort on my end would be to present a variety of options for students to pick from so that whatever I am presenting aligns with their interests. And so coming up with three potential uh, approaches towards a lecture to say if we're 
today learning about empathy, would you like to learn about a patient-centered design? I'm sorry, patient-centered design project that went well, a idea from a pharmacist and all the mistakes they made going into it, or something that scaled poorly and then learned to scale well, and students have to pick from one of mm. those three options, would be something that they're invested in. I've tried that a few times, so I'm giving a bit of a trick answer in that sometimes it's worked really well mm -hmm. where students are clearly invested in what they selected, and other times that I've used that approach, it has been a very clear answer as to what they wanted to learn about, but that engagement did not particularly sustain throughout the actual discussion. So giving an option to students is something that has worked and has not worked. I'm still trying to figure out why and which one or whether it just chalk it up to variability of student interests the same way we all have variability in our interests. Yeah. I'm still working through, but definitely presenting options is something that I've enjoyed or learned from in experimental process. I think that's really neat though because you are, like you said, you're putting more work on yourself, but it's giving them an option of how they might best take in the information. So right, and it's great. not effort in vain. You could always yeah. go back and reuse those topics. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So one thing that I've done that has worked and has not worked depending on the group of students I get is I do kind of almost do like a pitch the students against themselves in a way mm. to collaborate. So usually what I'll do is because I've had like three happy students or I have a group of students is I'll give them assignments, the same question, and I basically give them the day to work on it and then submit back the answers, for instance, and I blind everything. And then I have them decide who's doing the best and who's doing the worst in their own eyes. And that's actually something I've had to grapple with is because, you know, it's one thing is, you know, being a professor and being and hearing it from me saying this is okay or blah, blah, blah. But I think when you really implement that peer review, which is real life, is, is, is when you review yourself and say, I think I did a good job, and have someone say, yeah, you did do a good job, your own peers, or have them say, no, this isn't that good, it's that reality check. And I think mm -hmm. that's what I try establishing for a lot of my students on the first day or first week, is show me where you think you are, think, tell me what you think you are, and let's just get a baseline real quick. And I serve as like the mediator for all this. Of course, but yeah. that's something that I've actually then had to grapple with, is like students sometimes don't like that reality check. They really think they're like the best. Um, and I institute this because I would get so many students like midpoint just being like, what do you mean? I think I'm doing very good. Mm -hmm. and, I'm like, and they're like, well, you know, I haven't heard anything from anyone else. I'm like, okay, well, let's just start setting this up so that you can get that feedback because maybe you do need it. So that's something I'm still playing with. I haven't really finalized, but in some ways it works, some ways it doesn't. I think we could implement, in general, a lot more peer review. I mean, I think, like you said, you've blinded it. It's not like anyone's going to get there you know feathers ruffled I mean they still do I'm sure but a little bit but I think that it could help us because I think like to your point students just want to hear it's perfect no changes needed you're doing a great job you know and so by getting that feedback from their other peers I think could be really effective well my last question for you guys is what would be your overall prescription for success in this job I guess I'm just picturing if you had a new faculty member who came up to you just starting first day and they're like, do you have any advice for me? What insight would you want back then? Something that I've heard across a variety of fields and perspectives is that you should always maintain a learner perspective and approach towards what it is that you're trying to do. So that even if you have been teaching for 20 years, you should try to learn about teaching, even if you have been in a particular setting. Putting yourself in that situation where you have to understand what it means to be a novice learner and how a novice le learner is differentiated from an expert could be something that's very insightful and will constantly provide new perspective. Great.
These days, so what success is to me is a, is a really hard question to answer these days because uh, I don't know. You know, now it's been it's been ten years since I've been I've been practicing in emergency medicine, mm -hmm. and everything in like everything leading up to the past ten years has been basically trying to achieve this like level of mastery that I wanted to get when I entered pharmacy school, right? And now I find myself questioning what does it mean to be a pharmacist and what is the future of this profession and what are we preparing our students for and and what do we want it to be, mm -hmm. right? Because I feel like for a long time I have been carried by the, you know, by the flow of the profession, right? Like I have been cr created into this thing that has a, that is very skilled, um, that conforms to this image of the profession that have been you know created over over many years, and and I think there's a, a lot of exciting things in the future, but also I feel like uh, it's going to require some some really um, kind of really daring individuals to actualize on this thing um, that I think that we're on the kind of precipice of and that, mm -hmm. that people have been talking about for a long time and, and that isn't it just isn't going to happen until people start taking some risks mm -hmm. and as a profession we are probably one of the most risk averse groups <laughs> yeah. of people so, yeah. so, so that's kind of the thing that I find myself battling is how do you uh, how do you encourage risk taking in in the profession our job like our core role is literally to manage and and, and try to reduce risk absolutely like and uh, and it's part of that has begun kind of getting to my own core of like being like allowing myself mm -hmm. to take risks and and, and to fail right because how can i expect my student to uh, be okay with failure if even i hold myself to this this image of perfection right, right? so so I, I think really as, as a as a profession, we need to start asking some really hard questions. I mean, there's there's the talk of provider status, right? Mm -hmm. And we're kind of like starting to train our students to be providers. But it, is that you know is that what the future of, of our profession will be? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, it sounds like it, it probably will be. Um, but I think there's a lot of other skills that we may be ignoring mm -hmm. if we're if we're just focusing on on that element alone. Uh, so you know. I've uh, I've kind of set up my own personal journey to, to figure out what are my other skills and what are they good for, mm -hmm. and I, every student who walks in my door, I ask them the same question. Right? I ask it, you know, you know, usually they're they're senior students. And I say, great, you're you're like a year away from uh, being, you know, probably one of the the most educated people to ever have been created, right? Because every year we're kind of we're raising the bar, and these mm -hmm. kids are are expected more of. Now, um, what are you what are you going to do with that? Right. What are you going to do? What other things do you have? Can you bring to the table, and how can you like raise the bar for yourself a little bit more? So, that's great. Yeah. Rob, you brought like full circle, and like what Robbie talked about earlier was like you know failure, and emphasizing it's for students to learn from. I think for you know for talking just in general, like for any pharmacist, that's got to be an exception. You have to accept that that's going to happen. But I think for new faculty, failure comes in different forms as well. Like you're not going to get your first grant, maybe. You're not going to get your first publication, you know, out the door, but it, it comes down to risk. How long do you want to sit on it? How long do you want to make it perfect? Mm -hmm. And when do you just say, just go for it? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest and hardest part for a lot of new faculty, a lot of new pharmacists, pharmacists is that, you know, 
how much of yourself do you want to put out there? And I think those are going to be the individuals that Rob brings to up, up to mention is like those are the people who are probably going to lead us further. And the probably for me where I'm, I think I'm really getting concerned is, you know, what is the mission? What is us as an educational group aiming for these students? And is it just you know provider status? Is it fully dispensing? Is a pharmacist? Can you be a pharmacist? With, pharmacist as well, drugs, for instance, is a question I ask myself every day, I feel like. Um, am I a pharmacist still? So that's something I also ask. And this all comes back to is like, I shouldn't be afraid to ask these questions. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are afraid of self-introspection in terms of where we're going. I think this is a scary time, and I'm fine with that. But I also think we need to take advantage of the fact that this is a golden time for either redevelopment or re-entrenching or just rethinking about what this profession is. And I'm really actually excited for that. It is a challenge. I think there are many people who are gonna balk at the challenge, but I also think that there are people who are looking for people to lead us from this. And students are asking that. And I think that's something that needs to come into conversation. We talk about AI, we talk about automation, mm-hmm. and people are like, oh, it's gonna take my jobs. Why don't I even go to pharmacy school? Mm-hmm. And we won't have the answers, but I think it's that engagement level that us try and develop. I think as a community, it's where I would like to see more emphasis put. And that's maybe what new people I would say is get on that, because that's probably the biggest push you'll have. Well, thank you so much.